Our reading tonight is from Genesis 13. It's all about Abram and Lot choosing where to live in the land. In Psalm 119, verse 18, the psalmist writes, Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things in your law. So let's pray that as we read the passage and have it explained, that our eyes are opened and we ask for your wisdom in our life's decisions. Amen. Amen. So our reading is from Genesis 13, 1 to 18, and it's on page 14. Abraham and Lot separate. So Abraham went from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and with everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abraham had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. From the Negev he went to place, from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier, and where he had first built an altar. There Abraham called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarrelling arose between Abram's herdsmen and Lot's. The Canaanites and the Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. So Abram said to Lot, Let's not have any quarrelling between you and me, or between your herdsmen and mine, for we are close relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zor was well watered, like the garden of the Lord like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out towards the east. The two men parted company. Abraham lived in the land of the Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had left, parted from him, Look around from where you are, to the north and to the south, to the east and to the west. All the land that you see I will give you and your offsprings forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. So Abram went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he pitched his tents. There he built an altar to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Brian. Shall we just pray? <coughs> Gracious God, our Father, we do thank you for your precious word of which we've just sung and which we've read. We thank you for the truth of it, the unerring truth of every word that's written. And we just pray tonight that through the 
power of your Spirit speaking into our hearts that we might be faced afresh and challenged afresh with our commitment to you, that you would speak deep into our hearts. Help us to see that it's you alone who is speaking. We ask it in your most holy name. Amen. I wonder, I wonder how many of us here, if we're perfectly honest and frank with ourselves, would confess to feeling the challenge and the difficulty of being separated to God in our lives, day by day by day. We can say with, with uh, great assurance, I think, that, that some days are good. Some days are not so good. Some days are not so bad. Other days are frankly bad. Abraham was to learn, and like Andrew, if I err into Abraham, even though he's Abraham, if it's a mix of the two, forgive me. Um, but Abraham was to be, to be challenged um, in a very real way in his walk with the Lord as he started out. Andrew spoke to us, and I've just put this up here, and I'm sorry I haven't got a flasher, but they don't work on these televisions. Um, no, it's a shame, but it's just because we, we often wonder what, what Abram's journey was really like, and how long was it, and where did he actually go from and to? And, and I, I looked it up, and I thought, oh, this is quite good, actually. I, I've learned quite a bit of geography. Paul, where are you? Um, <laughs> Do you know your Middle East geography? Um, you see Ur down at number one, down in Mesopotamia, deep down in Iran, Iraq, uh, towards the, uh, uh, well, right, well into the Middle East. He was called, actually, it, in this passage, um, we could be forgiven for thinking he was only called when he reached Haran, which is number two, but it wasn't. Uh, because Stephen, in the sixth chapter of the, the Acts, when he was addressing the Sanhedrin, he made it absolutely clear that, that actually Abram was called out of Ur. And he put, made no bones about that. So he was called right down here. And he followed that track. And you see the 300-mile bit. You see it's a fair old distance. And up he went, right up to Haran. And there he went with Terah and uh, his father. And he went with his wife, Sarah. And uh, he went with Lot, his nephew. Um, and, and Haran, uh, Lot's father, actually died in Haran. That's very confusing. Um, but, uh, but that's where they went. Uh, and uh, then from this passage, we might be forgiven for thinking it was from Haran that he was called. But actually, no, it was from 600 miles earlier. And he was in Haran quite a lot of years, which, which wasn't exactly what God had planned for his, uh, for his life. Uh, but from there, uh, in obedience, he went down, he came back, down, he came on down, down the uh, west side, um, down towards Shechem. And it was at Shechem that we really pick him up tonight. But, so you can see he'd been a long distance uh, as he went through that. And uh, you can leave that up if you like, Giles it's, uh, or Sarah, um, as long as you don't look at the map all the time rather than me. 
Um, but uh, maybe it's best not to. But Abram had been called by God for a very specific purpose. It wasn't just that God was bringing him out. And, and you know, as we look at our lives, it's not that God has just called us out of what we were or where we were or how we were just because God felt like doing it. God has a purpose for every one of our lives. God has chosen us, those of us who know and love him, chosen us in Christ before the foundation of the world. That's an amazing thing. He wants to be our friend. He wants to be our closest relative, a near neighbor, like Boaz in the book of Ruth. Uh, uh, The closest you can be. I think that's infinitely wonderful, isn't it? To think that the holy God of whom we sung wants to be my friend and your friend, and he wanted to be a friend of Abraham. And in fact, we find in Scripture, one of very few Scriptures where it actually says that somebody was the friend of God. But we are friends, the New Testament tells us. Isn't that wonderful? What a privilege that we have. But Abraham was called to be the ancestor of a new race, where in, in, in and through whom God's promises would finally be fulfilled. Remember what had gone before, the flood and, Be- and uh, Babel. That was gone. God had said it repented that he had ever made man, and the flood came and destroyed everything. And God was beginning a new work in that sense. Abram was to be the father of a new order, the father of all who believe. Paul said that to the Romans the Father of all who believe. And if we know and love the Lord Jesus Christ, we're part of that great race. But you know, just like you and me, Abram was subject to failure and disappointment. And things didn't always seem to go quite as perhaps God had hoped, if you can say that of God, because God knew what was going to happen. And in spite of all, he still loved him. And he knows all that goes on in our lives. And in spite of all, he still loves me. And he still loves you. And praise his glorious name, he's still going to take me to glory. And I'm still going to revel in all the joy of being with my Savior forever. And every one of us can say that. But when Jehovah, when God, Jehovah God first appeared to Abram in in this, you can see Shechem, which is down at number three. Can you see it there? It was there that God really first appeared, almost, we we, we can believe, almost in person. He'd called him out of Ur. He'd taken him through Haran. He'd brought him down, but he appeared to to him um, in Shechem. And that was a place where Abram really first began to enjoy fellowship with God in a very special way. In fact, it says that he built an altar there. And what does it mean to build an altar? It wasn't just something that he built to, oh, this is a reminder uh, of a great day in my life. Yes, it was that, I'm absolutely sure. Just like when Israel came out of, of, um, uh, out of the wilderness and they crossed the river and they came to a place called Gilgal and they took stones out of the river. You remember, 12 stones were taken out and built there. That was a place of new beginning for them. And Shechem was a place of new beginning For Abraham, where's the place of your new beginning in your life? Where's the place where you think that my life was changed around? Well, I I, I used to sing a song, and it's rather unfashionable to sing old songs these days, but Bernard will know what I mean. Burdens are lifted at Calvary. 
Jesus is very near. Do you sing that song? Burdens are lifted at Calvary. That's where my story began. That's where your story began, if you know and love the Lord Jesus Christ. It was there that he took your sins upon himself and he gave his life for you. He built an altar at Shechem, and that was a place he remembered. And after his failures, and we'll think about those, after his failures, when he went down into Egypt, it was to Shechem that he came back. And you know, that's a great and a wonderful thing that God shows to us in this story, in this account, and in this separation uh, from Lot. When he came back to Shechem, it was there that he recognized that God had first done a real work in his life. It was to Gilgal, time and time again, that Joshua would lead Israel back to that place of beginning. It was, um, uh, you know, a, a, a wonderful memory of what God had done, what was God was doing, and what was God was going to do. But in the meantime, before we get on to it, and this is where we took up from last week, he failed and he went down to Egypt. And he went down to Egypt for what you and I would say was a very good reason. There was a famine in the land. And, uh, uh, but, but Isaiah had said, woe to those who go down to Egypt. And before you remind me of Jacob in the Old Testament, Joseph in the New Testament who went down to Egypt, there was a very big difference in their case, that both of them went down into Egypt because God told them to. God did not say to Abraham, go down into Egypt. And yet down he went. And he took his belongings with him and he took Sarah and just as he got there, he said, oh, Sarah, there's a slight problem. You're very beautiful. And they might like you in Pharaoh's court. So I want you, instead of being my wife, to pretend that you're my sister. You remember the story? And, and, and so it happened that in due time, yes, indeed, uh, Pharaoh did like Sarah. But he found out about the deception, another of, J of uh, Abram's failures, to try and protect himself. He said, pretend you're my sister. How often in our lives do we pretend to be something that really we're not? How often we try and, if you like, lead people up the garden path so that they're conned into thinking we're very much more spiritual than we really are. I'm a sinner saved by grace, nothing more, nothing less. I'm thankful to my God for what he's done in my life, aren't you? I'm, I, I love to think of the fact that I'm God's friend. I think that's absolutely wonderful. Enormous cost, teach me what it means to save a sinner. Teach me what it means, the value of a soul. Teach me what it means, Lord, to have picked my life up from a dunghill and to set me among princes. May I never forget that and that my burdens were lifted at Calvary. But when he went down into Egypt, you know, there was one very big difference from the place that he'd come. He had an altar at Shechem. And an altar, as we've thought, is a place of, of fellowship with God. Maybe in our own lives we could place an altar as our morning scripture reading. I'm very privileged since I've 
retired and I have time on my hand, Mary and I love to read the scripture together in the morning. And you know, by the time we finish, it's about half past 11, it's almost lunchtime. But that's a wonderful joy because our altar is around God's word. And it's a wonderful way to start the day with the Lord around his word because it brings the reality of this living God into every new day. Maybe you're not so blessed as, as, as we are still that we can do it together and it's a wonderful thing to serve the Lord together, but maybe you haven't got that privilege. Maybe you're not together with someone for whatever reason. But still, I encourage you greatly, whoever you are, stop every day with the Lord. Don't miss the opportunity of building your altar and having fellowship with him. When Abram went down with Sarah, Lot was rather swept along. He shouldn't have been there. Remember, God had told Abram to leave everything behind. Now, I asked myself many times, did he mean leave his wife behind as well? Well, we're not told, but it says all your relatives. It says, leave everything behind, your belongings, everything you have, and go, follow me. And it was necessary to leave everything behind because that was the old world of his life. And God was doing a new thing with him. God was creating a new race, if you like. And, 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 you know, Lot rather tagged along. And it's easy for us sometimes. People can tag along on the back of, of perhaps what we may believe. And, and, and I believe we need to be very careful about this in this particular scripture. I don't know how many of you read, have read, I'm sure most of you will have, um, Bunyan's Great Allegory, uh, Pilgrim's Progress. And you'll remember how um, pliable, those of you who do, pliable and obstinate, two great folks, left the city of destruction with Christian, who was on his way to the celestial city. And when they left that place of destruction, the city of destruction, they had to go through the slough of despond. And, and, and by then, um, Obstinate was saying, ah, you're not going anywhere. You're going to get caught up in that bog. You're, you're, you've had it. It's not worth it. Don't believe what he says, Pliable. He's having us on. But Pliable said, no, no, I want to go. I want to enjoy it a bit more. I want to see where he's going. I want to enjoy the things that he's doing. He wasn't going because God had called him uh, to the celestial city along with Christian. And people might tag along with us. Um, and we might, have, with the best of intentions, lead them along, as Abram did with Lot. But actually, Lot hadn't been called by God for that purpose. Lot had been called by God, if he was called by God, to trust him there and then, just as Abram did. But Abram was being called for a specific purpose. And when Pliable left, that was the end of his journey. And we have to be very careful how we deal with folks, I believe. And I believe this is a funny lesson to bring out to this particular chapter, but I believe it's a very real lesson. Don't allow people just to follow tag along with us in our Christian lives if they're not prepared to make a commitment for themselves. We have to be very, very careful the direction we point them in.
You know, there's a lot in every one of us that would tag on to somebody else, and we all tag on. It's a bit like that game, you know, what's it called? That stupid game they play in Spain in bars where they all dance along, you know. You know, so. Ah, that's it. <laughs> the conga. You know, no, Bernard's never been in a conga. <laughs> where we all tag along. And it's very easy to get dragged along for the sake of it, because we're all going to have a good time together. And there's a lot in, there's a lot of lot, there's a lot in every one of us that would just go along with the flow, because it's easy, it's convenient. It's not sufficient just to leave Ur in our lives. It's not sufficient just to leave Haran in our lives. It's not sufficient to leave Egypt in our lives. We have to leave our lot behind as well and commit ourselves fully to him because in him alone is life. Not in all these other little bits. In him alone is life. Know, the psalmist says, that the Lord has set apart him that is godly for himself not for various other interests. The Lord has set aside him that is godly for himself. And the riches of Egypt soon became a, a drag on Abram's life. Hagar he met, the Egyptian who caused him nothing but trouble in the future. And, and, and you know, Moses found it as well, didn't he? he was but he was prepared to, to put the reproach of Christ first, rather than the riches of Egypt. Beware, we need to beware what Satan is trying to drag us into in our lives. And Abram was getting dragged into this, and Lot had been dragged into this. And there came a time when they had to deal with the situation. Never abandon your altar. Never, never abandon your altar. There are no benefits ever to disobedience to God's word. We've sung it. There's never a benefit from it. And if you feel you've disobeyed God in your life, some, and, 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 and I guess Abram did, because he came back out of Egypt when he saw the light. But if you're feeling in your life that perhaps God is dealing with you in a certain way, and, and, and he's disciplining you, oh, the place to get back to is the place where it all began, where your faith in Christ began. Burdens were lifted at Calvary, get back to the... Another old song we used to sing, sorry, but I... I, I uh, Jesus, keep me near the cross. There, there, a precious fountain, free to all, Precious, and I'm not going to sing it to you. I have to get the words right. They're a precious fountain, free to all. But, but it's at the cross that it all begins. It was at Gilgal where Israel went back. And, and, and the Lord had to say to the church in Ephesus in the second of Revelation, get back, you've left your first love. Go back to where it went wrong. Return to your first love. We need to get back. And he got back, did Abram. He heard the voice of God speaking to him. It was the third big test, really, up till now that Abram had, had, uh, had faced. He failed, first of all, his first big test in going down into Egypt. He, uh, regarding Sarah, he'd failed in his deception 
to Pharaoh. And you would have thought God would have said, that's it. I've had enough. You've had two chances. But, you know, wonderfully, wonderfully, he passed with distinction when he heard God's voice saying to him, go back, go back to the place where I told you to go. And he went back to that place at Shechem. Yeah, Lot was, he was a godly man. He was a righteous man. Peter tells us so in his epistle in 2 Peter 2. Lot was a righteous man, but he wasn't devoted to the Lord. And we need to ask ourselves, we may be righteous in our own eyes. We may be, uh, well, reasonable Christians in our own eyes, but is that enough? You see, Paul, when he was writing to the Corinthians, he defined people as being natural or unsaved. He described people as being, other people as being carnal, which was saved, but really not very committed to God. What God seeks from our hearts is a deeply spiritual commitment from each one of us. What he was seeking from the heart of Abram was a full commitment to him, to follow his way, to do what he wanted to do, what, what he wanted um, uh, Abram to do, to commit his life to him. And he said, I'm going to make you a great and an amazing nation. Lot had had many opportunities when walking with Abram to follow and to see what God was doing. But nowhere do we read of Lot ever building an altar in his life. Nowhere do we read upon, uh, hear of, of him calling on the name of the Lord? Nowhere do we find a commitment. He was dragged along. And it speaks so deeply into my heart. How committed am I to God in my life every moment of every day? Is that altar something which I built once and have left? And it's still there. I committed myself. The altar's still there, but I've forgotten what it looks like and it needs a bit of repair. It's a bit like going into a graveyard and seeing the, fall sto the, the stone falling over and the council have come and slapped a notice on it saying it's dangerous. You can't go there anymore or you've got two years to repair it or something like that. Is your life like that? Is my life like that. Abram's was at that moment, but God is gracious. And Abram was the friend of God. You and I are friends of God if we know him and we trust him. And he wants our lives to be those which are on fire for him. Sadly, we're told in this chapter in which we read, in, chapter, in verse 10, it says, Lot lifted up his eyes and saw the plain of Jordan. He saw it as he looked towards Sodom. He still had an attraction in his life. And our lives, unless we commit ourselves fully, have an attraction to something that pulls us, as did Lot. He looked towards Sodom in verse 10. In verses 11 and 12, it says he journeyed. He saw the garden of the Lord. It looked wonderful, all the land there. And then there's this very poignant little phrase, it was just like the land of Egypt. 
as he looked. Oh, how good it looked. The fish and the garlic and the leek and all the things of which they'd spoken. They're still there. I can still have them. And if you've been to Israel and you look in that direction, the wonderful greenery and plain as as you look along in that direction. But it got worse. He looked towards Sodom. He moved towards Sodom. And in chapter 14 and verse 12, it says that he dwelt in Sodom. What a solemn warning to each one of us who leaves our altar. What a solemn warning to those who might be tempted by the devil who is so clever, far more powerful than you or I ever are, to show us the wonders of the plain. Look, it's there for you. Just help yourself to it. Lot had lifted up his eyes and seen what the world had to offer. But in verse 14, it says that the Lord said to Abram, lift your eyes now and see what I've got to offer. God was giving him something. Lot had taken the cities of the plain. God was giving to Abram the fullness of his heart. God had a gift for him that he would never take away. I will give to you this bit of land. Sadly, if you look on to a later chapter, you'll see that a man called Kidoleoma and his armies took away even what, God, what Lot had helped himself to. You see, there's no gain in turning away from God, and Lot, Lot left it all. He'd lifted up his eyes, seen the world's offer. He, Abram had lifted up his eyes, seen God's offer. Lot had chosen the piece of land which he finally lost. Abram was given by God the inheritance which to be his. Lot had said, I'm going to take that. God had said, I'm going to give you that, free, without cost. Lot was living for the impossible, an impossible dream. Living for the possible, I'm sorry, Abram was living for the impossible. Because how, God, what had God's promise to Abram been? That I'm going to make of you a great nation, but he was old and, 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 and uh, would become old. And Sarah was barren, and it was never going to happen. But by faith, and this is the crux of this, by faith, as Lot looked towards all the things that the world had to choose... He chose that. By faith, Abram received from God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Abram trusted God. That is the challenge in our lives when faced with this choice. That is the the real crux of the gospel. Do we really understand the reality and the necessity, the vital nature, of the eternal nature for our hearts, that God is offering something freely to you and to me? That's why the Lord Jesus died on a cross at Calvary. That's why our altar at Shechem began at Calvary. 
That's why Jesus says today, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest to yourselves. Is there anything greater than that? The moment we try and take and grab and grasp, we lose everything. The moment we get on our knees before a holy God and confess our sin, the things we've done wrong. Abram says, I've done wrong. It says he went back and he built the altar, rebuilt it, if you like. That's what it is. That's what it really means. He rebuilt it. He went back to the place he'd begun. And there, God honored his promises made to him. You see, what's your choice or my choice today? As we look at the city of the plain and we see all that's good and all that the world has to offer, everything that's nice, yeah, it's very tempting. But, you know, it's our faith. 1 John 5, 4 says this. This is the victory that overcomes the world and its attractions, even our faith. Lot acted by sight. Abram acted by faith. It wasn't they who fell out. It was the herdsmen who fell out. Was it conceivable that in the land of promise, God was not going to provide everything that was necessary? It was, that's inconceivable. Abram trusted God, that God would look after him. And he went on to Hebron, and, 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 and um, Hebron means, the word means company. There he would have the company of those who also trusted God. Hebron's a scruffy place, actually, but you remember it was the Caleb, the place that Caleb had set his heart on. He said, I've seen this place, and it's, it's, it's a wonderful place. Well, actually, it's a horrible place. But there's company there, the company of believers. We need our Hebron. Uh, a lot of old brethren halls are called Hebron Hall. Those of you who are brethren in persuasion, you will know that a lot of them are called Hebron Hall. Why? Because there's a company of believers who love the Lord Jesus Christ there. That's why they're called Hebron Hall. And Hebron was the place he went to and where he had company and fellowship. And there, in that area, the altar was restored. Where is your altar in your life? If it's towards the area that looks attractive, that's what the Bible says is Sodom. That's what God condemns utterly. It says here in this that the men in verse 13 of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful. Lot didn't see that because it was all too attractive, but God saw it. And it's God's view that counts in your life and my life. So what are the lessons from the chapter? It was quite impossible that Abraham and Lot could stay together. It's quite impossible that you and I can mix God's world and man's world and expect to get along. You cannot serve God or mammon. Matthew 7 talks about the broad way and the narrow way. The Broadway, there's many on it. It looks very attractive and easy, and there's lots of nice things along it, but it leads to destruction. 
the Bible tells us. The narrow way, which looks pretty tricky, is the road that leads to life, and few there be that find it. But those who seek after the Lord from their hearts will truly find him. And it's much easier, the first lesson, much easier to lead people down to Egypt because that's the broad way. That's the attractive way. It looks good. It's much easier to do that than take the love of Egypt out of their hearts once it's got deeply embedded there, as Lot did, and as he found to his enormous cost later on. Never let us be responsible for taking people down the wrong route, however much we might not have meant to. Secondly, you know, the, the outward separation of our bodies from the influence of this world saying, I'm not going to be seen in this place or that place is not sufficient. It must be accompanied by an inner separation of the spirit. The Canaanite and the Perizzite were in the land, it says. What does that mean? It means that the world was watching. And if the world sees in our lives that which gives them a bit of an opportunity to do what we enjoy doing and, 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 and enjoying the good things of life, the world is very quick. Satan is very quick to pin us down. Canaanite and the Perizzite in the land, they're in the world today. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities and against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual wickedness in high praise. Ephesians 6 will tell us that and drill it home. The Spirit of God would drill it home into our hearts and into our lives. Thirdly, always remember that the, the world is watching. Don't, my mom always used to say to me, don't even give the devil the opportunity of seeing in your life something that will give them opportunity to criticize. It's a very solemn lesson. And finally, God honours those who honour him. He honoured Abram because he made the right decision. He listened to God. He trusted. He acted by faith, not by sight. Psalm 84.11 says, He withholds no good thing from those that walk uprightly. Withholds no good thing. Look north, look south, look east, look west, he said to Abram. And that reminder of Ephesians 3. That trusting in Christ, we know the breadth and the depth and the length and the height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. I encourage you to trust. Act by faith, not by sight. If there's something in your life which is holding you back from God's fullest blessing, get before him today, tonight, and put it right with him. Get back to Shechem. Get back to Gilgal. Get back to where it all began at Calvary's cross. And may he bless you richly for his name's sake. Shall we pray? Gracious Father, we, we have such a story to, to tell in our lives. You've been so good to us, so faithful to us, despite our unfaithfulness. Thank you for this example. They're given for our teaching, for our learning, as the New Testament would tell us. And we pray that we might listen to your Spirit speaking to us and challenging us. It may be very uncomfortable sometimes. We may need a rod of discipline. But Lord, bring us back to yourself, we pray. Because we ask it in your wonderful name. Amen. <laughs>